Hey, Film Files, what's happening? It's Tuesday again. We're stuck with each other for the next hour. I hope you'll stay with us. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And tonight was uh, like three weeks coming. We've been waiting to do this movie for a while. And uh, tonight we get to. It's called Nightcrawler. And now we're going to talk about it. This is Movie Show Theater. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. Jimmy, Ben, and Stuart. This is Movie Show Theater. All right, so one of my favorite local businesses here in town has uh, jumped in on the movie show theater train. Acme Comics, I'm sure most of you have been there. Cool. Yeah. We like them. I like Acme. Yeah. And they like us. Yeah. They're at 2218 West Glen Avenue, and um, when I lived by myself on Barron's, one of my favorite activities of all time was taking five, ten bucks, going through their wall of VHS and getting... Ten movies I had never seen before. And now I have an Two. obscene amount of VHS tapes. I have three copies of Poltergeist 2, and I have two copies of Alien 3. And I'm never going to watch it. So are if anybody gonna, wants a copy... Are you going to be like the guy I, who's I don't trying have to... Uh, VCR. <laughs> you, are you I have be, three. I'll give you one. No are you going to be like the guy who's trying to collect all the copies of Jerry Maguire? I, didn't, I don't know about that guy. trying to copy, collect all the copies of Jerry yeah, Maguire? Yeah, I think, I think there's a guy who's trying to do all the VHS copies of Jerry Maguire, and I think maybe there's one that's really random, like Speed 2. Wow. Uh, I think there, there, are, there are a couple of them. I can't remember who started it, but there was a, one guy who started it with a certain movie. He's like, I'm going to try to collect all of the VHS copies of insert name of movie here. Might have to look it up to that's see who the originator is. pretty weird. Yeah. Anyway... So, uh, let's see what's going on in the theater this week. Uh, a whole lot of nothing. Crap. Straight out of Compton, yeah. I'd like to see. That's getting some good, some good reviews. I'll Straight out of nothing. I'll see it out of, I'll, I'll see it when it comes out on Netflix. Straight out of Netflix. I have, I have a feeling it's gonna take yep. the same route that, you know, other music-related movies did, you know, with, with the way they wrap up the story. I almost have a feeling, like, you almost have a feeling when you go into a movie like that that you're gonna know exactly what happens. Well, I like that it's more documentary style and not so much trying to fabricate like a linear story out of a period of history. I mean, the L.A. riots and, and the birth of N.W.A. is for sure an interesting story, but I think it's probably, I mean, it's two and a half hours long. I don't think it's going to try to turn anybody onto rap. I think it's going to tr- kind of be a tribute for those who are old enough to remember. Truly. Uh, I would like to see The Man from Uncle. It's Guy Ritchie and... Uh, I listen to the soundtrack, and the soundtrack is all very uh, roaring 20s and, and 30s cool jazz. There's some Nina Simone on it, and all of Guy Ritchie's soundtracks are phenomenal. Snatch is one of my favorite soundtracks. And I checked, and we can say Snatch on air. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I like Yeah. So that's cool. Good. I don't know. American Ultra. I still don't want to see it. I, I might, it I might check it out it. at some point. I thought the trailer made it, it look DVD somewhat interesting. Or- I just can't get over the fact that it's just the, it's just a reincarnation of two fantastic movies, and it's gotten really bad reviews. And the director was yeah. on a 
was on a uh, talk show, and he said that Hollywood and, and American audiences have no interest in anything original. It's like, that's that's well, really not, true. not true at all. It's, it's not, not true. true at all. I don't know. Well, a lot of times the original stuff just ends up standing out in a good way, uh, whether it's, okay, maybe this movie came out in theaters and didn't do so well, but generally there's an audience for most high-quality movies, and it'll at least become a cult hit. Right. True, you know? Well, because a lot of the originality, they don't have the budget for mass distribution. Yeah. Uh, you know, like It Follows was fantastic. Certainly wasn't wide release. Anyway... Sinister so two. stay home this week, everyone. Don't go to the movies. There's not much there. <laughs> I looked at I looked at Rotten Tomatoes because oh, I know man. I'll see Sinister Two eventually. Yeah, that's uh, on 12%. Netflix finally. Sinister yeah, Two made it to Netflix. Hor- well, no, it's, it's out. It's out. Sinister in One theaters. is on Sinister Netflix. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I like the first one, but the trailer for this one didn't do anything for me. And it was like, well, I'll wait. And the reviews are bad, and. Uh, I, I can really stomach a lot of bad horror movies because I've seen so many of them in my time. So I don't want to exactly pay money to see them, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the go. theater. Yeah, you ain't taking my 20 bucks. I second that. We're also starting this new thing that we're still kind of uh, creating some parameters for called Peoria Film Society. It's still kind of in the in the works, but it could be anything from people going out to lunch or brunch or dinner and just geeky film talk. If somebody wants to host five or six people at their house to watch a movie, we can do that. If we all want to get together and go get drinks, go see a movie, go get drinks after and talk, that's cool too. But there's a lot of love for all things film in Peoria, and I want to gather like-minded people. So if that's something you think sounds interesting, you can find that on Facebook. There's a um, Facebook called Peoria Film Society. There you go. There will so, be checks mix wherever we go. I yeah, swear and Puppy be... Chow. Yeah. Well, I suppose we ought to get into Nightcrawler, because that is why we're here today. Yes. I watched it again with my father today. Yeah. I knew that he would like it. And and did he? He did. He really liked it. Yeah. Um, he, he predicted some things. He's always he's always good about that, and it drives oh, yeah. me crazy. <laughs> kind of do that, too. Yeah. Drives my wife crazy. I hate it when I'm right, though. I, cause I've, I, I with, love it when I'm right. With some movies, well, it depends on the movie. Like, if you know it's really formulaic and you can guess it, that's one thing. But if it's one of those movies where you're really into it and you have this inkling that this one thing's going to happen and you don't want it to happen because you think mm-hmm. it's going to ruin the film and then it does happen, you're like, man, I predicted that and this totally sucks on every single level. No, and no, 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 no. I no, mean, no, if it's no, like no, a no. bad plot twist or it's well, just something that doesn't make sense at all right. in the movie. Well, if you have a prediction and you're like, if this comes to fruition, I'm going to be really disappointed. Right. But, you know, like with if a lot a bad of thing, horror movies, right. you can tell what is going to happen before it happens, which was another reason that I really liked We're Going to Revisit It Follows because it was a parody of, like, countless horror conventions and techniques. And the opening scene was this girl running in a white nighty and high heels, and the camera does this really beautiful 360-degree three, panoramic um, tracking shot in one take and you don't know what she's running from but you're like oh here's something that you see in every single horror movie but um, yeah I know that one definitely does yeah. not fall into a stereotype anyway Nightcrawler Nightcrawler directed by Dan Gilroy came out last year it is currently available on Netflix streaming this yes. was the first movie that he directed but he was a 
DP. He was the director of photography before mm-hmm. this, and, and screenplay a, too. Screenwriter. Say he, yeah, he has a decent amount of writing credits if you visit his profile on the IMDb. Yes, indeed. So I, uh, I kept thinking about Donnie Darko and how I used to love that movie, and it, I, I went through a phase right around the same time that Fight Club came out. They both came out around the same time. Yeah. And I liked the visuals. I liked where the camera was at. It was fun that it was in, took place in the 80s. But now, years later, when I revisit Donnie Darko, it's kind of a stupid movie. You still really think is. Jake Gyllenhaal really is dreamy, a stupid though, right? Movie. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal I, okay, is still dreamy. Here, here's the thing about Jake Gyllenhaal. I have, and, and I, as as we, you know, it's been a while since I watched this originally, but I, I, I went back and I looked at it a little bit just again. I'm just not a fan of the Gyllenhaals. Oh man, I'm not a fan of I either like one of them. Of them. Yeah. I just I I don't know. I just I just don't know. What what is it about? Are you just not sold by his characters? Does he kind of annoy you? Because he really does. And and in this film, I'll I'll give him credit for this. He inhabits this character better than anybody else probably could have. I mean, he he lost all the weight in order to to do this film and he his mannerisms is he's like a robot mm-hmm. stuffed into a human's body almost i thought that I mean, several times i mean it's just like it's like some fungo who or alien who landed on the planet and thought that this is the way humans should act and therefore is acting that way and yet no one talks like he talks like an encyclopedia and uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, after a while, I wanted to reach through the TV and smack him. He but was being so condescending. His, that's not to his fault. That should prove the effectiveness of his Yeah, I think that's the oh, intended no. purpose. No, no, no. I know that was the intended purpose of this, but I still, I, I, I'm not, I have yet to see a movie where, with, with any, either of the Gyllenhaals, and this even includes, you know, Maggie in, in Batman begins. Yeah, that, and, I don't think I mean, that's a good example I, I, of her. No, it isn't. But again, but I love the Batman movies. But anyway, uh, having said that, with this one, with Jake, I, again, I I watched it. I I I enjoyed it. It was it was interesting. Uh, it was a slow build. It really was for me. I really wish they had gotten quick more. Picked up steam a little quicker. I mean, just the first thirty minutes of him being creepy and slinking all over the place didn't really. I'm I'm fascinated by his transformations, and I mentioned Donnie Darko. That is not when someone says, "Show me a movie that 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 showcases Jake Gyllenhaal's acting ability." Uh, you wouldn't put it that would, in. It one? would not be Donnie Darko because there's not really a whole lot of acting in it. I mean, it's just very straight faced. But you know, he the the movie is is very much a transformation of character. But yeah, the, uh, a couple of the interesting things that I liked. For, first of all, the camera work and the colors, like the color palette in general of this movie, is just beautiful. And uh, you know, they they use these iconic L.A. locations almost like they're writing a love story for Los Angeles. You know, they have all of these tourist spots and they have the La Brea Tar Pits and they have the Hollywood sign um, towards the end. But the transformation aside, in the very, very first scene, 
you essentially see him, and I decided in my mind that he killed him because the security guard because there's, and I guess yeah, if you haven't seen this, you're not going to want to listen to this. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> he struggles with the security guard, and you learn very quickly that he is very calculated. He's very strategic and he's incredibly smart but like the true epitome of sociopath yeah to me uh this lou bloom lewis bloom character that jake gyllenhaal portrays he's in like some weird point between travis bickle from taxi driver uh-huh. and, like heath ledger's completely unhinged version of the, the joker, joker like, right. if you went in between both of them that's probably where he lies uh and i think the observations are really true because i've i've worked in sales and in car dealerships and uh, the phrases that Lou Bloom will use, like, you know, how did you arrive at that figure? It's like he's almost used to reading so much that he's just regurgitating what he's read. And he's not interacting with people that much before he, you know, ventures out and tries to launch this media company, if you can call it that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why he is just so awkward, because his interaction is with the TV, with, you know, media online and not real people. You know, like a lot of scenes are just of him in his apartment or him by himself doing something. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought it was interesting the way that he, his apartment was very cramped and very claustrophobic and a little bit dingy, but he reminded me of um, Bateman's character from American Psycho because he's Mm -hmm. very preoccupied with this image that he portrays to the world. And, you know, like when he's pawning the bike, at the pawn shop. Right, right. Just just that he's riding around, you know, he's aware of these very uh, s- uh, seemingly subtle business tactics where you're riding a bicycle around or you just move in general. You tend to keep people's attention more. And uh, his, God, his stare. When Bill Paxton gets put on the stretcher, That's, he, he yeah. holds the camera up. And a lot of the movie, we see through the viewfinder on the camera, which is interesting because that's like a little mini TV. So that's very intentionally done. And, yeah, so they have the camera on the camera, and then they pan down to Jake's face, and it is – he's a monster – He's a monster. He's a coyote. <laughs> he is. He's a hyena. That's 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 what they portray him as, really. If you want to go a to scavenger, if you will, yeah. Yes. If you want to go to you know Los Angeles as a backdrop for this, he's very much a creature of the night, and he very mm-hmm. much is a scavenger because uh, what this movie builds to, it starts with one thing that's a little bit smaller. It's just kind of blurry footage of a man who's been, um, I guess. He, shot. he was he was shot and he was yeah, robbed. He was, he was shot and robbed, and that's you know he stumbled across the scene, but he he broke all the rules and got right up in the face. He got right there, like the first one that like he, the very first one yeah. that he filmed, and and he just broke all the rules. I'm fairly and, sure I'm allowed to be here. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he just didn't know, and because he didn't know, he got a great shot and was able to sell it or to didn't the, care. The, the station. Yeah, exactly. I think well, it's, it's like a confidence <laughs> mixed I with. I completely disagree. I think he does care. I think he does care because he's so single-mindedly focused on what success, and so yeah, he does care. But he is not going to let that stop him. I think th- I noticed this the second time around. I've never seen. Rene Russo in a movie other than Lethal Weapon. No, I've never seen her in such a uh, carrying role. And she is almost more hungry than Jake is. And she is portraying a hyena 
I mean, she's not going out there and getting it, but she's willing to have sex with a stranger. Essentially. You, essentially. You know, she's... You can just... This this movie has so many good character studies, and you see one conversation and one scene with Rene Russo, and you get such a great idea for who this person is, you know? And he kind of puts it all on the table later and on in the movie. He really does, and just nails her, literally and figuratively, <laughs> to the... To the wall, and 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 there, you know, and there's no gratuitous sex or anything in this. Everything that's even suggested is just that suggested, and so, it. it but again, the chemistry between the two of them and that scene at the at the dinner table at the the Mexican place was just it was it, that caught my attention because she could not leave. She wanted to leave with all of her body, with all of her fiber. She wanted to get up and just walk away from this creep, and never look back. But she knew she couldn't. Because of what he had been doing, because of the the footage that he had been bringing in, and he was not wrong. Mm-hmm. Again, not wrong. He does his research. He knows, and he, you know, again, he just ugh, so creepy. If you're just joining us, this is Movie Show Theater. You're listening to ninety point seven WAZU. We are talking about Nightcrawler tonight. Came out last year, and it is a thriller, more drama, whatever you want to call it. But I really, I when they that scene where he lays down the rules towards the end um, to Rene Russo, and that whole two minute dialogue where he doesn't take a breath, I think is the most impressive piece that in the film was that that's when the I film was really started. My butt to... cheeks together. I was like, oh <laughs> god, I felt like I was in trouble. You know what though? That was probably the point in the film where it really caught my interest. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it caught it, it kept my interest at that point. I wish there was that that intensity throughout the rest of it. I I, I mean, you saw the robotic kind of regurgitating of information and sad salesman cliches and everything else through most of the rest but that intensity that you saw in him at that point where he genuinely showed authority and true emotion i yeah. think you know towards her and and basically just told her the way it was going to be and boom that was it mm-hmm. done and she had no choice again no choice but to say okay how much well i think she i think she did and uh, you, one could say that she's willing to sleep with a stranger because she's that passionate about keeping a source like that. But I think that she's just she's desperate. She doesn't have another option. Well, like, she if you if you you know look at her backstory, uh, which Lou Bloom you know researched extensively, she had bounced from station to station to station, and you know every two years, she yeah, went. every two years she goes to a different station. That's Renee Russo's character, Nina. Uh, I was interested in uh, the the character Frank Cruz, who's more about you know, journalistic integrity. So here he is saying, you know, yeah, we're going to get ratings, but we're pretty much going to have no journalistic integrity. Nina comes back and says, well, who cares? Because when we get this huge story of a dead family who's been, you know, shot to death in this, you know, pristine neighborhood outside of Los Angeles, people are going to watch and it's going to put us on the map. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of strange how... um, fiction and reality align just of you know recent events it's like a really mentally ill man going out and basically filming himself mm-hmm. shooting reporters and no then kidding the reporter uh, or i should say the cameraman actually caught a part of it which i've read about but haven't watched because i really don't think i could stomach that because it's really sick um it, it's just it aired live on television yeah yeah and that's the most horrible part about it is that 
that is kind of turning this particular movie into reality in a lot of ways because it's it's showing the gratuitous violence that that unfortunately seems to rivet our society in reality and uh it yeah and 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 they said it blood sells mm-hmm. i mean if blood it bleeds, it leads. if it bleeds it leads right yeah. so it, oh it's just horrid well i think the other weird thing is that jake gyllenhaal and it's amid rick yeah Ahmed. yeah his sidekick that he hires uh, that like yeah. he he was some uh much I, I thought parts of the movie were uh, humorous in a really, really dark way, but Rick was more like straightforward comedy because he was just some guy totally out of his element, and you could tell that most of the time he didn't really want to be there, and he was really, really scared he out was of his dis- mind. Desperate. It's like, yeah, uh, I, I came thirty miles to took get three buses. Took three buses and uh, living in someone's garage. Kind of need to get paid. To yeah, get paid. I mean, well, I love their scenes because they're both, I mean, character-wise, they're the complete opposites. This Rick is, like, completely unsure of himself. He's got no passion. He's got no direction. And I think that Jake Gyllenhaal probably pursued that option because he would be easy to manipulate. Oh, I mean, without a doubt. And Without I mean, that was pretty, pretty and, clear right off the and bat. And mold, hopefully, you know. I mm-hmm. really think he was looking for somebody to kind of shape and, and change into something which, which, surprisingly, the character Rick was not moldable. He actually had a backbone at mm-hmm. the end, you know. He actually was like, no, this is dumb. This is dangerous. This is highly legal. You're going to pay me half. <laughs> you yeah. know? Whatever the, the, the reward or whatever it was going to be, you're going to give me half of it. And, well, spoiler, spoiler. You poor know, Rick. Poor Rick. Yeah. Poor 40 yeah. on the ground for our friend Rick. I yep. know. That was pretty pretty for the homie. But I like when they're sh- uh, in the newsroom and they're reviewing the home invasion tape and Rene Russo goes, can we show this? And the lady goes, Legally? And Rene Russo goes, no, morally, of course legally, as if moral would actually play a role in it at all. You know, like this movie was exaggerated, obviously, because it's a Hollywood movie and it's it's got to, you know, be engaging. But as far as suspension of disbelief, there's not really a whole lot there. I mean, some people have wondered if he could really get into the newsroom, get into the newsroom, which he probably wouldn't be able to just like walk in randomly into the, the set. But if places like that. Like the new the the news station, we don't have anything like that, and it, it was like a, a a mix between W E E K and T M Z. We don't really have any sensationalistic TV channels like that, so I can't personally relate to. Not, well, no, not here, not well, yeah. not in this area, but uh, and, and even out in L A, where something like this could feasibly exist, they're still not going to show what they were showing. Yeah, they, I mean. The there's no way they would be able to get away with that. Not at all. Not even a little bit. And what this movie really does, it really points a picture or points the camera back at at, you know, the news and to the media in and of itself and how we treat uh, truly how we treat violence as a, as a society. But how it's portrayed in the news, how it's sensationalized in the news and how, again, comes back to that if it bleeds it leads motto or whatever it is that they had it's it, it's horrific to, to me to even think that you know we would pause even on on the television to watch something as horrible as what you know it is but i'll, I'll be honest uh 
I couldn't take my eyes away, and this is pretty grim, but 9-11. When, you know, when watching the news, at that point, you just couldn't, you were riveted. You were absolutely glued to what was going on. It was like watching a television program that had been scripted. Yeah. But it was all real and live. But you could not look away. And that speaks very, very poorly, I think, of... I mean, yes, it was news. Yes, it was horrible that it was happening. And yes, we needed to know. But did we need to have the cameras pointed at the buildings while people were falling out of them? Right. You and know? then you cut to and TMZ then, and they're like, well, let's go to Kanye West with his with exactly, his opinion on the matter. Right. I know. And that's the sort of thing that they do all the time. And uh, it just it sickens me. And I that's kind anyway. of and that's one of the main themes of this film, too, because uh, at more than one point. You know, Lou Bloom talks about how everything looks like it's so real as if what's happening isn't real. You know, he's just filming it. It's just something that's happening. It's almost to him inconsequential. You know, it's helping him line his pockets. And you see there's almost uh, like a sordid industry with um, Will Paxton's character. What's his name? Joe. Yeah, Joe. Joe Joe Loder. So Joe has his vans. He goes around. He, you know, waits for accidents to happen. He follows them. Uh, Wasn't there like a a plane crash or a helicopter crash? It was a plane crash. Plane crash, yeah. You know, and he's like, oh, I got here for first, Lou. Ah, sucker. It's just like they're basically pounding their chests because they're the first on to, you know, these horrific scenes. And I think and I'm not disgusted at the movie because it actually does happen. This is a thing. Yeah, it does happen. <laughs> this is a thing. This is a thing. And, and that's I mean, there are stringers out in the big cities that do this. They listen to their police radios and race to these different accident scenes or shootings or home invasions or whatever you want. And their job is to get the shots and then sell it back to the news stations. Now, granted, like we said earlier, they're never going to be able to show what they did show in this movie. You know, that just isn't going to happen. But it's still a reality. These people are out there. Paparazzi, that's another thing. Mm -hmm. They chase chase celebrities around. The stringers that chase, they are the equivalent of the lawyer ambulance chaser. They are looking for carnage. Mm -hmm. And it is just, ugh, it, it. bothers me that that even exists yeah i guess uh jake gyllenhaal and riz went on some ride-alongs with the three brothers who own a business in not in la but and they got to kind of get an idea of what it's like yeah and uh if you don't have a moral compass and you got a gps on your phone i guess it's i guess it's a good path although yeah it's pretty it's pretty insane that towards the end you would see these horrific i really like the montage as he's building his portfolio you know i kind of i kind of yeah it's like uploading the files yeah exactly and then the real uh sensationalistic headlines yeah yeah um which make it of course you know more engaging harder to look away you open the newspaper and there's a story that says toddler stabbed but i kind of decided that the beginning of act two and the end of act one starts with the mustang at the gas station which True. is when it just is full steam at that point. Yeah, it's a challenger. It's, oh, is it yeah, a challenger? Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, it's a challenger. It's not yeah. the Mustang. Yeah. And it's yeah. red for danger. Uh, I like how red just shows up in movies and you know something's yeah, going to happen with that happen. item that's red. Whatever yeah. whatever is supposed to happen is going to happen centered around that one red thing. Shamalama Ding Dong started it with Sixth Sense. No, uh, he didn't really. No, he didn't start that. But, yeah. uh... <laughs> That was, was a good example, uh, huh? Guys, oh, okay. he kind of invented the horror genre, okay? Uh, um, a little something called surprise ending. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, Twilight Zone for the win. Man. Yeah. Good call. Um, Soylent Green is people. Yeah. Planet of, the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. I mean, you can. I mean, if you want to look at film, even just go back to like the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That was one of the first documented ones. Oh, yeah. Even though there, there might have been one or two before that that aren't as popular. Well, I always thought the story of Max Shrek was pretty interesting. The fact that they would put be able to put a story like that together. Oh yeah. Um, that was pretty cool. But uh, when I was watching this today, I was pretending that. Bill Paxton's character, Joe Loder, was actually Bill Harding, and he was reprising his role from Twister. I was thinking that, too. <laughs> and after, like, five years... Bill finally snapped and gave up the weather scene, huh? <laughs> yeah, him, him, and, uh, him and Dr. Joe got divorced again. Of course. Of and course, yeah. uh, after uh, Dusty's untimely death, <laughs> it was just too yeah. much to take. Unfortunate. It was death. too much. Yeah, he just snapped. Yep. Well, it's it's fun to do that because I know uh, even though the timelines don't work out, like we were talking about Jack from the Fisher King, Jeff Bridges' character, yeah. just totally mellowing out, giving yeah. up, being a diva, and just becoming the becoming dude. The dude yeah. You know? yeah, it's fun to do that when an actor um, has a role and you're thinking to yourself, well, he could probably be a past character if you you know fill in the blanks in this storyline and a couple of things happen here and there, which I think the the Twister comparison isn't even much of a stretch no, no because he's still an adrenaline junkie with a camera ta- chasing horrible things no cows in los angeles he didn't, yeah. he didn't want to make dorothy six <laughs> bill paxton is such a funny actor because he's good and i like him in everything like from aliens game to over man game his, over his, his teeny teeny tiny role in terminator Punk. Oh, Nothing yeah. Nothing clean, right? <laughs> Punk number three. But yeah, exactly. he's like a lifelong supporting actor. Oh, yeah. And I can't well, think of... He, well, Frailty. Uh, Twister. Oh, yeah, that was He was good. great in Frailty. Like, that turn where he was ultra serious, I was like, damn, Bill. That's a good point. And he was in that show, Big Love, which I didn't like, but it was, it was a well-constructed show. It was he also... He also well, he was also, he was supporting... He's also been in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was on TV just recently. Oh, was he that, really? Oh, yeah. He played a big role in that for a while. Oh, that's cool. Second season, he was huge. That's I need to catch cool. up with that. Or first season. I can't remember which one it was. They're well, all kind of blending together. I just watched them all again. No, no. Well, I like him a lot more than Bill Pullman. I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Bill Pullman's more of a... Uh, uh, romantic comedy character actor uh, when he's not the president. Yeah, whatever. We will not fall. We will. <laughs> Independence Day 2 no. is being made right now. Yeah, but no Will Smith. That's okay. Jeff Goldblum's back, though. I'm kind of tired of Will Smith. After all the hoopla about Suicide Squad and it turning into the Will Smith show. Well, and... I'm just well, we tired don't know of this hoopla in general. I mean, he's kind of made a career and there are articles about this dating back to however many years ago about how he picks his roles and a lot of them are just you know being a character similar to a prior character that he played you know going back to the discussion we just had like a minute ago it's like oh it's will smith as himself as another character right. all right i know i was but watching there are the... people who actually do well with that i yeah. mean there are actors who make a lot of money being somebody else being themselves, being somebody else. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, he's definitely not a character actor, and that's fine. No, and he's he's Will Smith. It's like you Will can say Smith that about Tom Cruise. Will Smith playing, you know, at whatever. The end, at the end yeah. of the day, he has uh, 
vault of gold coins to jump into like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, exactly. no kidding. <laughs> yeah. He just dives I, in. We're all just jealous is what it is. Yeah, no, when that made a fuss say... over, over Django, I thought that was really, really yeah. silly. But okay, anyway. speaking of, okay, here here's a, here's one thing about Nightcrawler and and the Rene Russo character in particular. Nina Romina. They yeah. did not they did not make her up to be to look younger necessarily than what she is. And I thought that was really fascinating to me that that was, you know, that was the case. And it, because Rene Russo is a very good looking woman. I mean, she's very good looking, but as she's, you know, she's getting older and they didn't hide that in any way, shape or form. You could see the wrinkles. You could see her age in this. And I thought that that was something else. I thought that was really interesting choice. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, she's, I don't know if you've seen uh, the Thomas Crown Affair. One of the greatest you know, uh, the not the original, but I'm talking about the remake with, of course, Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo as the insurance investigator. But one of the most stunning sex scenes in any movie ever is in the Thomas Crown Affair. And Rene Russo is hot, 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 hot. And naked. Oh, yeah. And it just, ooh. Girl. Yeah. Girl, so, took those clothes off. Yeah. <laughs> But again, I mean, you go back, you you look at her now, and at 61, she's still stunning. But you can definitely see the age, and I think that was such a telling choice for for the director to make. Yeah, they could have put more effort into costuming and makeup and whatever to play the same character, but just younger. But it works so much better when... She looks tired and she looks dried and up. And see, there it is, right there. She has a hungry look about her. She mm-hmm. she looks desperate almost, in a way that Lou Bloom's character, you know, uh, the the character of Lou Bloom is never going to to match. And and where he is a predator, definitely, she is a different sort of predator in this case because she feeds off of society, where Lou just feeds off of everybody. I mean, he's a thief, he's a con man. Equal opportunity. He's, a, he's an equal opportunity, you <laughs> yeah. know, creeper. So, But she feeds off of, of the society's need to watch the pain of others, and and maybe that plays on her a little bit. Maybe it, maybe it makes her sad. Maybe it, actually she hates what she does but can't walk away from it because right. she also loves what she does. And so that makes her almost as equally creepy, but again, more of a predator, I think. Because you know? she's been doing it longer, too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. A side note, she's also been married to Dan Gilroy for a while. Oh, so how do you I think like it, that? Uh, let me mm. see here. Since 92. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm, yeah. So she's also started a couple of the films that he's written. Isn't that convenient? Cause there you go. Go into sleeping the... with the screenwriter. Go into the <laughs> bank, Dan. I like the way you do that. Yeah. Go into the bank. I noticed a lot of really good quotes that stuck with me in this movie, and it's like what Ben was talking about. The, you know, you'll see these really bad, bad character qualities come out, and these obvious signs of mental illness. You know, he openly sells these stolen construction materials oh, to yeah. this foreman, and he knows they're stolen. He knows that the foreman knows they're stolen. And then you would ask him for a job. That day. Now, oh. you can be so determined that you're like, I know that I just sold you stolen material, but I am so 
determined to get a job that I'm going to try to get an interview myself or you're not, you know, because he's mentally sharp. He's very strategic, like we talked about. So he's he's aware of how it works. But I just I thought it was really interesting. That Well, in the fact that when he did try and get the job and even though any other person might have been sold by by his spiel that he gives the gives the construction foreman the construction foreman turns right around looks him right in the eye and goes i'm not hiring a thief <laughs> even if he has never been caught ever has no record ever he he flat out says he's not hiring a thief and lou looks right back at him and shrugs his shoulders and goes oh well well, yeah, that makes perfect sense, and walks out. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> One thing I'd like to see too, uh, I, I think we've talked about it in past episodes, how you can recut a trailer to change the movie's content, and it was a big part of the Fountain episode too. Mm, um, definitely, you could, you could probably recut the Nightcrawler trailer to make it look like this is uh, just like a, a young man living out the American dream, achieving things by doing <laughs> doing good. Like It's like hard work, fast cars, getting the girls, making friends, Lou Bloom. <laughs> but yeah, it's like this, this movie, because it focuses mostly on Lou Bloom, it's like a really twisted version of the American dream. You know, yeah, he does work Truly. hard and he's really focused, but you see how he achieves his personal dream and it's disgusting. It's one of those things where the only admirable thing you can probably say about him is, yeah, he does work hard, but it's it's the effort that he's putting in, the the direction of it, you know, that's really the worst part. He's pretty much building his empire on, you know, bloody bodies. Exactly, yeah. And one of his fellow stringers, bloody body. And Rick. Right. Really. Poor Rick. I know, poor Rick. And Rick. But yeah, he. I love when he tells Rick, Rick, don't answer me with a problem. We need a solution. <laughs> That is such a cheesy managerial statement. It, it's like going back to office space, you yeah. know? I mean, yeah. seriously. Yeah. I'm going to need you to mm, hey, uh, die now. Hey, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he didn't get those TPS reports on my desk, Rick. We're going to have to talk. <laughs> Where's my... your flair, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> you almost said Rick Flair. Woo! That's okay. And this movie stars the only two people in L.A. who don't have a TV. Rick doesn't, and then that other neighbor didn't at the beginning. That's insignificant. What? (laughs) No, but I was going to say my buddy Chris, uh, speaking of ridiculous managerial (laughs) jargon, he was in a meeting, and they were talking about whether or not this panel was going to be assembled, and his boss was like, go ahead and soft pencil that, will you? Soft pencil that? Chris was like, okay, do you want me to write it down? Yes. He's like, yeah, just just write it down, but we might change it. Yeah. But that sounds like something that Jake would say. Definitely. And something that you read online, too. You know, the the internet is obviously not always the most reliable source of information, but he, you know, Lou does not spend a lot of time with interaction around other people, and so, you know, he reads these things and he, like, tests them out on Rick because, unfortunately, <laughs> Rick is not— the Rick, brightest no, he tool is really in the, not. He's not the brightest tool in the crane box, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and uh, I did. I thought it was really interesting. So, okay, so when he's in the newsroom, by the time that he gets in and he kind of sits down in the chair, and they have like a nice little chimey music, and right. and you're like, oh, this is his biggest dream. And the whole movie, he's been lying to us and manipulating other people, and we know that he's crazy for all intents and purposes 
And even though we see this transformation happen, the very first thing that we know about him is that he, at the very least, knocked this guard unconscious and stole his watch. Yeah. But he starts to talk about how he's always wanted to find something that he loved and he always wanted to pursue something. And he's really passionate about his night crawling and whether that was his what he wanted to do in life or not, you almost start to kind of feel some like emotional attachment to Jake because you, I mean, I'm, and I'm a fan of Jake Gyllenhaal anyway, so I just think he's fun to watch, but I'm like, Oh my God, are we really getting a little glimpse of who Lou Bloom really is? And then I realized, no, you're being manipulated. The whole movie is, 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 is this character. You have seen, you have seen who he is. I mean, yeah, he, we do see who he is when he, he tricks his Rick. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, that's all I was going to say. I mean, the, yeah. the whole movie reveals who he is. You know, like once you if you think that there is going to be some shred of, you know, kindness or something that, you know, doesn't really benefit um, anyone but him, you're, you're not going to find it because Lou Bloom's really all about himself. I mean, he'll he'll keep people close enough to use, use him up and discard them if needed. But He's he pretty much shows throughout the whole movie that he's about himself. Oh yeah, and and when he when he does what he does to Rick at the end, that is a perfect example of that. I mean, he uh, uh poor Rick. That's all I gotta say. He he poor pretty Rick. much he pretty much uses his only uh, I would say real business partner. Nina kind of counts, but uh, mm-hmm. Rick's more the guy on the ground with mm-hmm. with Lou shooting all this stuff or navigating whatever. You know, he pretty much uses his own friend to get uh, a good shot, you know, or to get his friend killed. You know, I mean, so he can have two camera angles. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, it's somebody approaching the wreck, and there's a guy inside, and the the um, the robber shoots Rick. So it's like, wow, he Lou just used Rick. To, as bait, as bait to get a shot and to also eliminate him, so he didn't have to share the reward money. Right. Ouch. Well, and God, there's so much going on in that scene that initially it starts with uh, this the camera angle, and I had to look it up because it was going to break my heart if it would have been CG because it's just so streamlined and so freaking cool looking. But the camera starts out on top an aerial shot looking down at the Challenger about 10 feet. And then it's like real fluidly moves behind the Mustang. Challenger. Ghost Dodge. God, Challenger. Dang it. It looks like a Mustang, but it's <sighs> it not. It kind of even doesn't. And when me and Anna watched, she watched part of it. Even yeah. she knew it was Challenger. Yeah. Anyway. It's a Dodge, not a Ford. So then it really ghost-like. Brought to you by Dodge Challenger. Moves over past the Challenger. Moves in front of the Challenger, and now the camera is about a foot from the ground, looking up about a foot away from the Challenger. And, oh, man, it's just, it's, and it's all done in one take, too. And even if you don't notice, you still kind of notice because you, you, you're really into the scene. And that was a fantastic chase scene. Oh, yeah. It was outrageously good. But yeah, and that, I mean, the, you, I, I'm glad, finally, that it built to that point. I'm, you know what I mean? I, I'm yeah. really glad because... It, there are so many movies that start like this and and go the way this movie did for the you know whatever watch it, but and then it just kind of peters out and you don't get a finish you don't yeah. get a a great ending, and the ending of this was really great I really did enjoy the ending of this I thought that it was very telling, very true to the character of Lou Bloom, and and the fact that he walks away scot free mm-hmm. I mean he's so smarmy and. 
uh, just, ugh. And he just walks away scot-free with no guilt whatsoever on his mind. None. Yeah. He doesn't, no guilt. Because he has his own crew. He, yeah, he's got no, he just, he doesn't have that moral compass. There's, there's no limits to what you can do or what you are willing to do when, like, ethics doesn't play a role. Well, he's a sociopath. Right. In the purest form. So, the other thing about uh, the scene right after Rick dies and the guy, the assailant, gets out of the car and kind of sizes up Lou. And so, from the gunman's perspective, he knows that they were partners because he said he's dead. The assailant obviously knows that the assailant's not dead, so right. he knows that Lou Bloom just set him up to be killed. So I think he almost has like a stun of, of I don't know if it's admiration or what, but then he's like, wait a minute, I could go out in a blaze of glory. I want to be brought, because at first I'm like, that wouldn't make any sense that you wouldn't kill him. But of course you wouldn't kill him. This is like your ticket to national headlines. Or immortality, if you will. Yeah. Right. Well, so, I, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? I don't know that he put that much thought into it at that point. I think he was his, his I think his thought process was, I hear the cops coming. I don't have time to do this. I got to get the f out of here. Maybe, my, yeah. Then he just walked in a blaze of glory. So it's not like he was in a big hurry to get out. I don't know. Well, well he, no, he, he s- didn't know the, where the cops were coming from. He might have been able to hear him, but he was running across the street to get it the other side. The cops pulled right up. Yeah, that's true. And and he was. It wasn't like the cops were there, and he was you know going to pull a Butch Cassidy Sundance kid and jump out and go out like you suggested. Did it bother him that he went out that way? No. I mean, I I guarantee that that was probably the way he was going to die anyway. If it wasn't there, it would have been a month from now. He would have died by gunfire. I mean, obviously, those the two dudes were were, you know, they were hitmen or they were assassins or whatever you want to call them. But they, you know, screwed up and were seen. That's one thing worth talking about. Uh, I think one of the the crucial parts of the film is when. Frank, I think, relays to Nina that there were drugs in the house where mm. the family was killed. And yep. Nina says, don't say anything about that on no, air. They yeah. Don't want anyone to say anything about that on air. I think that's air. one of the most disturbing parts of the entire movie because at that point, you know, the news ceases to be any sort of service or source of information. It's just it be, business. Well, it's, it becomes a sensationalized and overproduced well, it becomes a program. It becomes a television show. And again, it almost becomes scripted, which is horrible. It's just horrible. And and if you really want to see the news, don't watch American television because, seriously, you don't get it. No matter what Fox or CNN or any of the major broadcast things say, they're they're all equally as bad. But it's yeah. a no-spin zone, guys. Oh, my but... God. Whatever. Uh, I know. There was I, a... We all love to make fun of Fox News, but CNN's no better. There no, a... I, I'm, that's what I'm saying. None yeah. of them are any good when right. it comes to actually showing the news. They all—the the only true news that I used to enjoy watching was The Daily Show, and that's not even news. Yeah. That's just—I mean— it's just somebody making fun of the news, but I used to get good stories out of that one, you know. Anyway. Yeah. Hasta la vista, John Stewart. Right. Yeah, I feel like this movie is only going to, I mean, it's 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 going to be relevant and it's going to oh, yeah. gain relevancy with time because this is not something that's peaking the way that we put so much focus on celebrities for one, Absolutely. but, you know, horrible stories and... You know, the the guy, I forget the journalist's name, but the uh, guy who was beheaded by 
ISIS who got put on YouTube, and it wasn't taken off YouTube. I know. And it, was, it, and it stayed there for a long time. And Live Leak, which is pretty much only purpose is to show shock videos. And unfortunately, I've watched some. And Faces of death for the 21st century. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Except probably no fake ones because that's, no, that's the thing about Faces that, of death. Yeah, it's like you don't really know fake. which one was well, fake, which uh, one was real. Yeah. I remember my buddies when I was a kid, they wanted me to watch that movie. And I watched half of it and started to get sick. I don't like... Even if it is fake, I'm not a big fan of watching somebody die gruesomely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's never been, you know, I... I, I feel like it's, it's that... It's a too intimate, too personal experience, almost. Yeah. I think it's that scenario with a horrible mangled car wreck and you're driving past it and you want to look away, you know you shouldn't, but someone's you, you, like, hey, have you seen that video of that guy being beheaded? It's like, oh, that sounds horrible. And yet... But I'm going to have to watch it because... Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes with car crashes, you can't really help it because you're just trying to um, avoid hitting the like, police. Avoid hitting the police. <laughs> uh, one thing I can think of, of some, uh, let's see, what, where was I? Oh, we were headed to a concert uh, in Chicago, and there was a really, really bad wreck, but we, we couldn't tell what was going on until we actually got on it because it, there was a reason for it. There were emergency vehicles surrounding the wreck because the car was completely flipped. So its usual bottom was pointing yeah. toward the air, right. and there were tarps. So you have yeah. a feeling there is a reason for the tarps because there were probably bodies, bodies in them. under them. Yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. not something that I would ever want to no. ever see. Like usually, if I if, if I'm coming up to a crash and I don't see any emergency vehicle lights or emergency vehicles. I mean, I'll kind of peer over to see if the people are okay, but I don't want to be like, oh, man, is there somebody mangled in there? No. Yeah. No. Okay, I take back one thing uh, that I said earlier about Jake Gyllenhaal. I found a movie that I actually liked him in. Was it uh, Brothers? No. Was it Jarhead? No. What was it? Love and Other Drugs. He. There was another one that he just came out with uh, in 2012 called End of Watch. Yes. With Michael Pena. Did you watch that? That was... Not phenomenal it was two cop buddies mm-hmm. and there was uh it's like well, then dash cams were first real big right and right. it's partly found footage movie but god it's so gritty and there's dirty you just want to shower afterwards <laughs> <laughs> so don't watch the day after tomorrow if you want a movie that showcases jake gyllenhaal's uh acting ability i would say probably actually i Jarhead. like the day after i actually like the day after tomorrow too <laughs> oh man still <laughs> I'm sorry. I enjoyed it. I like those types of films. I I, I like them I like, when I'm in the right mood. You know for why? It. You know why I watch movies, Jimmy? You wouldn't really want to suspend your own disbelief. I and don't want to. I don't want to feel horrible for something that's going on on the screen. I don't want to have it relate back to my life. I want to escape. Exactly. I want to be taken away from everything that I deal with on a day to day basis and go somewhere else. So yeah, day after tomorrow probably never going to happen in my lifetime. Will it happen eventually? Maybe. But I find those fantastic escapist 
apocalyptic things fun to watch. Well, that's fine. There's and and I watch them too. I don't want to come across as some bougie douchebag who's like <laughs> Michael Bay film. I just watched Expendables <laughs> three a couple days ago, and Expendables three was god awful. But I wa- I knew what it was going to be, and I watched the whole thing, and of it course. was thoroughly enjoyable. But you know, you go into a movie like that, you know, you got to know what you're going into. Absolutely. I, I didn't. I, I it's not expecting Oscar nods. Uh, no. But that is a good one. Well, we're running out of time here, but uh, we'll go around the room here. Um, Yeah, I I liked it. I I like the film. It's not my favorite Jake Gyllenhaal movie, but I will stand beside the fact that it's the best thing that I've seen this year. And I've watched it three times, and I will watch it again. And I like the um, nice little... Little inside jokes about L.A. If you're from L.A., you're going to like this movie a lot more. Like when they're uh, listening to the radio and they uh, have a call and Lou is like, we want victims, but not from 6th and Rampart. (laughs) And they both share a laugh because anybody that's from that area must know that's a pretty crappy area. And, um, yeah. Anyway, good movie. I'll I'll give it another go. I'll watch it again and and see what happens. I I think that... um, the more I've thought about it, the more it's kind of grown on me. And I appreciate the character of Lou Bloom for what he is, which is truly a nightcrawler, if you will. But I think that uh, I think that overall, he's this, this character is one of the most despicable characters. You could put him in the in the same. While he doesn't actively hold a gun or a knife and kill people, uh, I mean, we don't know about the security guard at the beginning, but while he doesn't do that, we, I think you can put him right up there with a Hannibal Lecter sort of sort of crazy, you know? I mean, he's very calculating, very deliberate in everything that he does, and there's never a wasted necessarily movement or thought. And, well, yeah, and just because so, we don't see him kill anybody, we certainly know he's capable of oh, it. Oh, he's definitely capable of it, so. Yeah. I thought it was a really fascinating film, mostly because of the way the characters are developed, but uh, it also helps, too, that the uh, the nighttime setting just drags you into this world where, you know, your main character is like a human coyote, and he scavenges, and what he scavenges is footage of, you know, people Carnage. maimed, dead, bloody, and uh, I when I when I finished, you know, watching this film... I thought to myself, even though it's a little bit exaggerated when it comes to the uh, portrayal of the media, yeah, that's fair and balanced. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> because, fair, and, fair and balanced. Yeah, because th- that's, that's the thing, too, it, that you don't really get, you know, a lot of reaction from, you know, people watching a TV when you get that when, with some other films just to see reactions. But that's the thing that doesn't really need to be said is that really as viewers, if we're watching these these you know, really sick displays of, of carnage, we're really the ones who are perpetuating this. So it's Truly. really our choice to, you know, turn the TV off or not watch that YouTube clip. Yeah, we're the ones that are accentuating the well market of that. Yeah, I mean, we are the market. We are the market, yeah, yeah. which is unfortunate. So. So, well, anyway, so what's next? Well, uh, if we missed anything that you watched and you noticed that we didn't talk about, there was a lot that we didn't really talk about, Drop us a line. You can leave a comment on any section in the Movie Show Theater website. You can find us on the Movie Show Theater Facebook page. And you can also get a hold of us through the 90.7 WAZU Facebook page. The website has all of our other podcasts, all free, of course. You can download them. You can look at our blog and uh, other stuff we've come up with. 
And so next week, we are doing the 1961 classic, The Hustler. Paul Newman. The Hustler. Hustle, We're just going to see how dirty we all can say The Hustler. <laughs> yeah, I watched that three-hour Hustler. Scott. Yeah. But anyway, so until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And this has been Movie Joe Theater. Theater.